not every employer in the marketplace is made equal. When you have a brand name, when you have brand equity behind you, there are certain things that larger organizations can do that an organization like Panasonic cannot. Today's show sees us focus on people and the technology that helps create better experiences from people, from those who are already in our organizations to those that we would seek to attract. We've got a view from either side of the pond. First of all, Lydia Wu from Panasonic USA, and then later on the show, a chat with Bill Borman from True London. That particular interview was recorded at Wreckfest, so a little bit of atmosphere in the background too. This is Tech Talks, your weekly technology podcast hosted by myself, David Savage, powered by Nash Squared, where we bring you some thoughts and insights from some of our industry's leading figures. Enjoy the show. Joining me today, back on the regular show format, Akish. How are you in London? Oh, I'm very well. Uh, very hot in London, I'll be honest. Perspiring. Uh, perspiring, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm having uh, I'm having regular shower breaks, mate, uh, during my working day from home. <laughs> it's good you can't do that in the office no, you well, I mean, I mean, well, you, I mean you can you can but it's a bit inconvenient isn't it? but like you yeah. know shorts and a pair of t-shirt you know go, go for a little five minute cooling off shower brilliant although the office does have aircon it does and obviously yeah. we've, we've got quite a few american listeners uh american listeners may well be tuning into this one given our guests um they will be going well haven't haven't you just got aircon at home no no generally we don't in this country and it's uh yeah yeah it's very sweaty right now. I mean, I'm sure some of the rich people, uh, you know, the, the the well-to-do people in the world, or in the UK do, but um, I don't. We don't. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's very hot. Um, talking of hot, there's a little bit where we talk about microwaves and rice cookers at the beginning of this interview. And people are going to be wondering what on earth they are listening to. But, Akish, when you think of Panasonic, what do you think of? Do you know what, yeah? This is completely different. I think of airline uh like tvs and like infotainment systems that's very niche that is niche isn't it that that is very niche but like when i think about panasonic there is tvs because growing up um my family did have a one of those silver big bellied panasonic tvs um yeah, yeah but i yeah i think of um yeah like infotainment on planes um panasonic mm. weird isn't Holy... it it's weird it is, it is. I mean, normally, um, as long as it's not BA, the infotainment's normally normally pretty good. So, as soon as you take a British Airways flight, it's absolutely useless. It so useless. hopefully Panasonic aren't on British Airways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, today's talk is all about what happens next um, with regards to people and HR tech. Um, Lydia Wu from Panasonic USA is our guest. And then later on in the show, we've got a chat from Wreckfest with Bill Borman. But we'll hand over the interview with Lydia, first of all. And myself and Akisha will come back with some thoughts afterwards. So I'm trying to Lydia Wu uh, from Panasonic USA, someone I was lucky to meet um, at Unleash America in Vegas. You were one of the speakers um, on the HR Tech stage. First of all, thank you for taking time to, to chat to me. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Let's let's rewind back to what was May, wasn't it? I'm trying to think now, but it was May. Feels like in your uh, yes, <laughs> it was May. Yeah, time flies. Um, what was what was the title of the talk that you gave on the day? So the talk I gave, I think it shifted across the board, but essentially it was so what now after two years worth of pandemic entering the endemic era, 
what now for the HR world? What do we do going forward with um, everything shifting in the environment? Pretty big question. Yes, very big one. Still trying to figure it out myself, but yes. Well, let's, let's give ourselves some breathing time and, and thinking time before we come back to that. Let, let, let's set the scene. We said Panasonic USA, but what, what's, what's your job for them? What do you do? Yes. So it depends on who you ask. If you ask my mom, she still thinks I work for the microwave people. I tried for the last couple <laughs> years to fix that, but here we are. If you I, ask- Just to jump in, that's interesting because I think of Panasonic as TVs. So <laughs> well, like immediately, that is the first leap. I know it's so much more, but it's interesting that your mom yeah. thinks microwaves- Maybe that's it a, across the which market you're in, to be honest. Um, I've told yeah, yeah, yeah. to my relatives, they're like, oh, yeah, you work for the rice cooker people. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> sure, yes, I work for the consumer electronics people. Let's leave it at that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you were to ask the organization, they will tell you, I do HR analytics, which is a very, very vague term these days. That, um, in my opinion, that's being thrown around the tech world. And if you ask my team, they'll tell you this is pretty much the Swiss army knife of the entire HR organization at Panasonic. So it's not just looking at analytics, but also the execution of programs. And really anything that doesn't have a happy place in HR is typically what my team and I work on and deal with on a regular basis. What do you say? Everything that doesn't have a happy place in HR, and this this might be a really stupid question, but is that a world which is growing or shrinking? I would imagine it's growing, but you would hope that it's shrinking. <laughs> it is a world that is growing exponentially because if you think about how traditional HR is set up, it's compensation, it's benefits, it's payroll, it's making sure the paychecks are paid, cashed out on a regular basis. But when you kind of look at the new world of HR, especially coming out of the pandemic era of everything, it's really about that 360 employee experience, workforce experience, not even employee experience, because we're now looking at above and beyond just full-time workers that make up the overall workforce ecosystem. So more and more, I find myself in situations where I'm no longer collaborating with just the HR group in my organization, but more so the legal team, the finance team, the marketing team, understanding the compliance landscape, understanding the branding landscape, and really making sure that we are able to deliver to our employees from an EX perspective what they would expect to experience from a customer experience perspective um, outside of the workplace. Forgive the blunt and inelegant question but wasn't that the point of the people function in organizations <laughs> i think we've called it people function we've called it the talent function we've called it hr at this point we can call it bob and sally and whatever you want to title it really but truly in my opinion what hr has struggled with for the last almost three to five years um, just leading into the pandemic is we called ourselves a people function, but we were still delivering as if we were a corporate function. We were still delivering mm -hmm. to say, what is that corporate headline that we're trying to achieve? And how do we in minimum effort get the maximum value out of our workforce to achieve set corporate headline? Whereas I think after the two years worth of pandemic now entering endemic era, what a lot of organizations and ourselves as well has realized is that it's no longer about minimum effort for maximum impact, but it's more so about custom effort for maximum impact. Because mm -hmm. one thing we've uh, 
more than learned uh, in the two years is the personas and the differentiation of employees of workforce truly matters and how they engage and how a employer engages with them, um, especially now that the tables have turned a bit in terms of choice of employers and choice in the, choices in the marketplace that the workforce can make. It's interesting because you say the tables have turned. That is very much the kind of the impression that you got going through the pandemic and now the situation Mm -hmm. we now find ourselves in. It's very much the narrative that I felt was coming out of Unleash America. Uh, Very much kind of your peers across the industry were were alluding to that. And then you get someone who's very influential, perhaps at least in mainstream media and immersed in technology, but now seems like an outlier, like Elon Musk going, everyone should get back to the office and almost mm-hmm. turning, turning the tide back. But when you look at the way that organizations are having to restructure because of the because of the skills shortage and, and all of those other bits and pieces that we find, how is it that people can think? Surely, surely it's obvious that this is the path that we're going down if organizations are going to be flexible and competitive. Yeah, I mean, it's the carrot versus the stick conversation for us, right? I mean, at the end of the day, the way I look at it is not every employer in the marketplace is made equal. When you have a brand name, when you have brand equity behind you, there are certain things that larger organizations can do that an organization like Panasonic cannot. If you look at how... Um, thinking of this off the top of my head, certain larger department stores engage with their customers versus how little mom and pop stores engage with their customers. It's a different engage mechanism, engagement mechanism. And for Panasonic specifically, when it comes to that sort of workforce segmentation, understanding the workforce better, we take the mom and pop route because we know that at the end of the day, our branding in the market isn't perfect. We attract the workforces that we do our best to retain, but we don't have the brand equity to throw around where talent necessarily flocks to us as their first choice. So in absence of that, how do you balance the 3D chess game that is known as employer branding and talent attraction? So what we do is we don't go out to say you absolutely have to return to the office, but rather we look at it from a all things being equal, what is that balance that we're trying to achieve? What is that experience that we're trying to deliver perspective? And hopefully for the workforce entering um our organization and the workforce that's in our organization, they recognize that difference and they stay for the sake of that difference and not necessarily the brand itself. When you're talking about brand there, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the employee offering now can be augmented to such a degree because of the uh, multitude of HR tech offerings that are out there. Um, mm-hmm. It was obvious walking around the conference floor back in May that a lot of um a lot of suppliers into the space that might have been quite fringe players maybe two, yeah. three years ago now had quite a presence and and were able to really kind of have have interesting conversations, I suppose, with your with your peer community. Mm-hmm. How do you make sure that you're selecting services that really do make an impact? Because it, it would be very easy to kind of buy something off the shelf, dress it up, talk it up, but actually it fail and not have the impacts in the organization drive through the changes that you need. Absolutely. I think, so the analogy I gave somebody a couple of weeks ago is the HR tech landscape now is like a bag of Jelly Belly jelly beans. I don't know if you ever read the flavor profile on the back of a Jelly Belly, but there's strawberry, there's strawberry kiwi, there's strawberry daiquiri. There's 10 flavors of strawberry, even though it's the main ingredient is strawberry in and of itself. I'm <laughs> thinking, by the way, that, that you have far more exotic flavors than we do in Britain off the, off the cuff. But. Possibly. 
possibly. But that said, the reason why I'm calling it a bag of Jelly Belly jelly beans is because it's about the main flavor profile, right? And when I say the main flavor profile, it's about what the end users or the workforce is really looking for when it pertains to technology. So for example, uh, with Panasonic specifically, we actually uh, do a workforce we pulse survey on a quarterly basis across the organization. And what that pulse survey asks for is there's rotating topics of benefits of diversity, equity, inclusion, so on and so forth on a quarterly basis. And from there, the insights we gather is really what drives our tech strategy and our tech platform forward in the sense that if our workforce is telling us, hey, you got to do more for our financial planning sake, regardless of which generation we're in, you have to do more to help us from the benefits front um, to help us figure out what our financial planning looks like. I now have the main strawberry flavor profile. From there, it's about understanding the differences of how, for example, working moms might view financials differently, of how Gen Zs who are just entering the market may need additional financial support, additional financial planning, so on and so forth, as part of their benefits offering. So now, hinging off of that main strawberry uh, flavor profile, if you will, we're kind of going into the strawberry kiwis, strawberry daiquiris of the world. But the criticality of that is finding a piece of technology that is flexible and extensible enough to fulfill that strawberry profile and still have room for growth that should someone later come on and say, oh, I need X of a piece of technology or I need Y in this portfolio of technologies, we're able to fulfill that requirement without having to keep plugging in um, niche platforms. Because while I'm a believer of not one size fits all, meaning not one vendor fits all. There are certain niche solutions we absolutely need from a landscape perspective. I also do think that the notion of plugging in point solutions just for one specific need at one specific point in time isn't really sustainable for an organization in the long run, especially if you consider the complexities of implementation integration, so on and so forth. Hmm. Well, look, we kind of touched on the fact that the question that you asked was, so what now? The picture that we painted over the last 10 minutes or so is this area of exponential growth, this area of increasing complexity. It must be challenging for someone in your position to go, well, where do we start? What, what do you think people should be focusing on in the next six months, a year, say, you know, as we are coming out the other side, as we are beginning to go, all right, we're out of firefighting mode to a degree, but we've got some big challenges what are the, the steps to take now in the what next question? Yeah, so I think a couple of things on the so I like, always like to look at my position from an offensive and defensive position. So on the defensive position, um, when it comes to HR is do not absolutely do not fall back into pre pandemic norms, even though it's comfortable. A lot of organizations I'm seeing now, as especially the return to office conversation comes up, are slowly but surely dialing back a lot of the progressive decisions that were made during the pandemic era. And we're basically kind of turning the clock back into 2019 a little bit in terms of what the office environment looks like, what the work environment looks like. But at the end of the day, I think across the industry, we all have to acknowledge that the last two and a half years have significantly changed people, significantly changed attitudes towards work, that even though in the short term, going back to the pre-pandemic ways of working, might seem like it's working, in the longer term, it is going to be detrimental to organizations across the board. 
Now, on the offensive side, in terms of how do we progress from here and where do we move on from here, I think it's really building on what we have done in the digital workplace during the last two and a half, three years, depending on how you counted. Um, and what I mean by that is while we were all remote, we really put an emphasis on looking out for patterns, looking for behavior patterns in the digital workplace, looking for sentiments in the digital workplace, because we no longer had the capability of having these water cooler conversations that we used to before. So now it's really about how do you maintain that? Because it's all about a hybrid workforce. So how do you maintain that level of interaction for both your office workers as well as your remote workers? And ultimately, how do you gauge their sentiment across the board so that you're constantly in a feedback cycle as opposed to saying, okay, we're back to the office now. Let's go back to the annual surveys. That's it. Your opinion only mattered to us while we couldn't see you. Now that we can see you, we're good. Let's move on. So I think my perspective is really keeping HR at that playing field that we calibrated ourselves up to for the last three years and maintaining that kind of momentum. I think it's it sounds incredibly easy, but I think for a lot of organizations, it's going to be one of the most challenging things that they'll ever do, which is maintaining that level of momentum. A huge amount to do for someone who's working for an organization that makes microwaves. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> no, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. I really appreciate your thoughts on this area. It's it's very challenging. Um, huge amounts of work to be done. Um, but really, really great to hear your candid views and, and fingers crossed it's it's helpful to other people out there grappling with the same issues. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> I think there's some really interesting um concessions here. And this isn't to talk down Panasonic, but when she talks about not every brand or employer being made equal and we attract the workforce we can do our best to retain, that's interesting, isn't it? Because it's a little bit of a departure from we want the very best people, which sometimes can be actually more harmful, more harmful for an organization than good because it leads to a very long time to hire and whatever else where it comes to people. But, you know, we do our best to, to keep the people, to, to attract the people that we can keep shows just how much the tables have turned in regards to employee-employee relationships. Yeah, 100%. And, and I think it shows that employ, employees now have, not that they didn't, but they, they have a lot more value, um, or each person has a lot more value to the, the organisation, or the organisation values their employees more, I think. Um, and I, I was just thinking, I mean, I don't know if this applies to Panasonic or, you know, where kind of um, her remit lies, but... I was thinking about us in the UK when listening to it and about the whole furlough thing um, during the mm -hmm. pandemic where businesses really had to make some key decisions around people, around their employees and kind of, you know, who was needed, who they could afford to kind of put on furlough. And, you know, maybe that that added or played into the hands of employees that, mm -hmm. you know, kind of knew that their roles were absolutely business critical and, and kind of, you know, very important, right? Not to say that... If someone's listening to this and was furloughed, <laughs> no, not to say that your role isn't, but I think it actually go, it, it kind of went to show that, you know, the business is really championing and, and kind of putting um, a lot of effort and, and, yeah, time behind people. Yeah, and I think, I think there's a, there's a, there's a slight concession again in there that people in HR and people functions used to try and do the most for the least 
and that isn't going to wash anymore. And the personas piece is so important. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think that kind of backs up what you're saying there, to be perfectly honest. Mm, I, I think so. And, and I think with, with HR, or, I mean, personnel's a bit old school, right? With HR, I think she mentioned it, right? Like it's, it's now a lot more than payroll and people and yep. sending out contracts and, you know, approving annual leaves and all this sort of stuff, right? It's away from those administration tasks. It's more about that retention. It's more about yep. what processes do we have? What, what, you know, what kind of, not just systems, but what culture do we have to retain people? And, and you know, what are we cultivating here as an organization rather than just we're paying really well and have some nice offices and we'll send you out some new fancy you know, technology kit when you start with us sort of thing, right? I, th- I, th- I think yeah. there's a lot more. Well, it's interesting. She says, do not fall back into pre-pandemic norms. Mm-hmm. I don't think that necessarily means don't have people back in the office. Yeah. But to your point, it isn't a case that you can just pay people money and expect them to get on. And culture matters more. And the persona piece, the individual piece, matters a huge amount more. You can have an in-office culture, largely, but you also have to be very aware now that that's far that there is far more consent that needs to be given by employers that they are prepared to do that. I was having a conversation with someone last week, I think, talking about Goldman Sachs, and it's like you know they're in an office culture five days a week in the office, mm. and they knew someone. This person knew someone who works at Goldman Sachs, and they were perfectly happy with it because Goldman Sachs paid them a lot of money. Now, mm. that individual was fine with it. It doesn't mean all people are fine with it. And that's what organizations have to grapple with now. It's choices that they make. And just because one person is going to make that trade doesn't mean that everyone would. Yeah, 100%. I think. Uh, I also think it's, it's down to... I, th- I think it's down to maybe a lot of people just understanding that, look, you know, money is a, is a byproduct of a lot of the things that are put into work. And it's the reward but equally as important in my opinion is is recognition um is having the the, the kind of backing of your organization you know should you be going through a hard time or, or a tough time and you know these sorts of things i, I think I, I think people are less and less aware of that um at the moment and i i, I just and i just kind of think that maybe we need to you know, organizations do have an impact on, you know, someone and, and they need to be very kind of um, not concerned, but but aware, I think, is is kind of the word. They need to just be aware that what, what may work for one doesn't work for the other. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you and I both work in the same organization. Um, our jobs are different, right? But we collaborate on a lot of things that are joint like you know mm-hmm. like this for example but how i am looked after is different to how you're looked after and your targets and you know things that you need to meet and so i think it's very much organizations need to be very um kind of flexible in their approach and i think the pandemic kind of showed people that I think. is that fair yeah, yeah. and the offerings are there now to make it more flexible i mean she talks about Lydia talks about the uh, tech landscape hr tech landscape being like a bag of jelly belly jelly beans. That's a bit of a tongue twister. Jelly belly jelly beans. Yeah. I've never heard of jelly belly jelly beans. There we go. Is that is that an American brand? Must it, be. It, I thought jelly belly were just the ones with like, extra like stuff inside. I don't know. No? 
As far as I'm concerned, there's just jelly beans. That's what I thought. Yeah, but I thought maybe it's like extra juice inside or something, like in the belly, maybe. Maybe. I don't maybe. know. Anyway, but, yeah. diatribe. Um, <laughs> but the point is fair that there's a lot of there's a lot of offerings. There's a lot of different toolings out there that can allow an organisation to give uh, people a flexible um, or kind of a diverse range of options whilst they're working for that employer. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think I think when you open those. Uh, when you open up those options, you will then also automatically attract uh, a whole load of new talent in the market, which can then tend to lead to, you know, successful hires and successful people in your business, right? So that only helps the case um, for a business to thrive and grow as well. Yeah, absolutely. Now, plenty there to sink your teeth into. So hope you enjoyed that conversation. But we're going to shift gear from retention and culture to attracting people. And we're going to talk to Bill Borman, founder of True London, uh, been in the recruitment industry for 20 odd years, now speaks to talent leaders um, as a moderator and uh, interview himself in his own right. He's, he's a fascinating character. He's got plenty to say about technology and talent uh, and where we might be heading. Um, and this was recorded at Wreckfest last week in a field. So forgive a little bit of wind noise every now and then and kind of people in the background, but it was recorded at a picnic table outside at Wreckfest. Uh, and hopefully this gives you a slight perspective on what people in our industry are thinking with regards to tech and, and where we're going. But Akish, thanks for your time. No problem. Go find somewhere to cool down. I might go for a shower next, who knows? <laughs> so after many... Uh suggested attempts and failed attempts and having spent some time with you in vegas finally got bill borman to sit down and in uh, a field yeah in, in a, a field, field. wreckfest which is great yeah by nebworth which um i don't know it feels quite summer even though it's gray and overcast it's beautiful it's beautiful out in the sunshine you got probably four thousand people here interested in recruiting talent something different I, I, you know i think it bodes really well really yeah. well for, for what we do and positive as well, because I know last year's yeah, last year's event was successful at Margate, yeah. but it was obviously just coming out of the pandemic and the, the venue was limited to about 1,500 people because of the concerns of getting people back together. And yeah. yet here we are, as you say, 4,000 people kind of really... Out and yeah. it feels like a little bit like back to... Yeah, the stages are packed. Yeah. The, 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 there's marquee tents all around this field for anyone who's, who's not familiar with this setup and you can't get in some of them yeah you can't get in them and it's a festival yeah right um so yeah it's it, it, it's good it's it it's good it gives me lots of optimism look you're hosting the um resourcing uh, leaders stage yeah rather. uh what we're about halfway through the day yeah how's it going yeah so it's, it's going really well um the interesting thing actually uh which, which is not a learning point but i think it's interesting about the way people are adopting technology the first time I've seen people using apps to turn up to sessions yeah right and um, which is a bit more around kind of the app culture and how you organize things I think but actually seeing people using app turn up session that's the session I want to do now I want to go off somewhere else do something different so that's going really well it also means that the people who turn up are engaged in that session they're interested in that topic so you know um, and I think it's a really important time I'm going to be speaking um, WTF the candidates I won't Sully, the actual name of the title on the, on the Nash. I know it's a Nash podcast. Um, but uh, I think we're in a point where lots of people are really figuring out what what's going to happen. Mm. Uh, you know, we, it feels like we're on the edge of something. Um, 
I think we're definitely going into a recession and all the economic figures say that. I think there's lots of reasons. I've been through six recessions as a recruiter, which means I'm really old. So recessions are normally really reasonably predictable when you can call on your historical experience, right? And that, that's part of what I'm going to speak about. So what normally happens as you go into recession, you see people go from um, full-time hiring into contingent hiring because companies are less confident in offering something long-term. Yeah. Your contingent hires your numbers go up you're more concerned about projects and contracts for the duration of that project and less long-term commitment um, and you see that happen and normally what happens is you get lots of candidates but not a lot of jobs yeah right so the, you know the the job the hiring company becomes the it's always who's the king in the business right and it's either candidates or jobs that are the king and then you go into a period as we've been through and the candidate becomes king. But I think this one really interesting is very different because um, although jobs are declining week on week in different sectors, particularly technology, jobs are down, we still have a dearth and shortage of candidates. Yeah. Right? So I think it's going to be a really unusual recession in that um, there's still not enough people for jobs. Out of interest, here's a question totally off the top of my head, so yeah. it might not be a very good one, but with the pandemic, obviously... A lot of organisations have shifted their expectations around candidates in terms of um, location, in terms of the the structure of their teams. I was, we were yeah. both in in Vegas for Unleash America talks there about using data lakes to unearth pools of candidates in different locations and think about where your competition There's is. There's another so significant thing. In so, that. I was just going to say, obviously, in previous recessions, if you haven't, you know, if you haven't been able to find a candidate, you haven't been able to find a candidate. Whereas now. Perhaps instead of looking at just one economy or the, or the rest, well, it is a global economy. Yeah, it is a little bit. But actually, the pattern that we're seeing is location is still important, actually. It's still... It, the the wash-up of remote working yeah. is that you still want people, for the most part, not for everything, you still want people to be commutable to an office location. You just don't want them, need them to be based there. Because the, the, the kind of hybrid model that we're ending up, and this is actually what's being demanded on both sides, interestingly. It isn't like employers saying, oh, we've got to get people back. Um, so most people are working with some kind of, we're hiring with um, a capability that you can reasonably get to the office location some of the time. Yeah. Or a central location some of the time. Um, it's just that that hub, that hiring areas got wider yeah. because it could be further afield because you're not based there all the time so even if you're staying in a hotel you could conceivably work in Amsterdam for example in your role you just need to be willing to get on a plane and go to Amsterdam and there would be an expectation you spend some time there for specific meetings so I think we're in a I think and, that, and I think that's probably the right place um, you know you're only ever in an office location when there is a requirement and a need to do something yeah and you may not be there for a whole day yeah but increasingly with also finding lots of people who actually want to be in an office they want they what they really missed from the whole lockdown experience and they're demanding it or never is the social and the communal aspects of being in a building with some other people and being able to share some ideas and accidental engagements what i call it you know to create some to create it so I think the geography in terms of hiring, in terms of the pools, 
it's getting wider it's wider but it's still um, location centric in terms of is it reasonable to commute to that location yeah, yeah. so I think we're figuring that model out and figuring out what that looks like more importantly what's what's being forced as a change is the way in which we hire that's more important so the way in which we hire we've changed over to properly looking at um, whether people uh, are moving from the way in which we've always hired and we've wanted this for a long time so this is a really positive outcome of the pandemic I think and also the skills shortage is it's much more about hiring around skills taxonomies mm. and we're seeing that in what tech's been developed so it's much more about hiring for skills rather than hiring for demonstrable experience and you think historically it's been CV hiring which says we make certain assumptions based on your history mm. spent two years with this company in this role we have an idea that you'll be able to perform that possibly at a slightly higher level perhaps for some more money but, it, but it's been very vertical equally from a candidate point of view people have generally stayed in their lane if you're good at something if you work in insurance within a tech role your next employer will probably be another insurance company yeah, and, and that, that was perhaps driven by recruiters as well. I mean, from driven my... by recruiters, but it was also driven by you know um, recruiters is really ease of who who's your hiring manager going to see. Exactly, your hiring manager is going to see someone who looks a bit like the other people they've hired before. Oh yeah, and look, I, 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 I was culpable company. as a, as a contingent recruiter of going no, here's I mean, somebody's no, got no, a track record. As a contingent and... recruiter, you will supply people with anyone, but you'll supply people who get hired. Exactly, right. So you provide people with what they want, which yeah. is something that looks like that what i'm seeing is different now is we're rethinking what we want we make and things are a lot more skill based yeah which means we're rethinking well actually is the cv we get into the real point of the discussion we've been having for two years which is how do we hire for skills 10 years we've been talking about should we ditch the cv should we not ditch the cv so here's a question what does that mean for the recruiter because doing what we did 10 years ago quite an easy simple task the whole skills-based yeah. matching is a lot more involved and complex. Yeah, because it's not documented anyway. Yeah. It was so, quite easy. LinkedIn profile says you worked at this company three years in this job. I know in this job you're going to have roughly this skill set, therefore you're going to be moving. So how does the recruiter evolve? This field's full of people who work in that industry. Yeah, so I think one is, you know, actually building up more of the assessment capability. I think the other thing that you're going to see happen significantly is a shift where learning and development talent acquisition come together as a single function. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a big thing. Big thing. Big trend over the next two years is, is what I forecast and what I'm already seeing. The reason you do that is employer brand is learning. People are changing jobs for learning capability, right? So you're in, how do you stay connected with people who aren't looking for a job? You do that by providing learning content which is valuable and also people see people delivering that content and go I want to go and work with that person yep. so it's part of employer brand the other major bit is internal mobility has gone into some people I surveyed recently about 40% of talent acquisition leaders have some have gained some responsibility for driving internal mobility in an organisation yep. now when you start out driving internal mobility from a recruiter's point of view it's current day hiring it's the same as you do your external hiring just internally there's things that make it easier because you know and harder in which you need to dispense with politics and stuff to make it work that's the biggest battle but um really you're looking at 
people who are capable of doing a job now. Yeah. Um, so generally what that's meant is creating internal job boards, do, doing lots internal career sites, internal employer brand, all of these kind of things, right, um, has been what's important. Where that's, what we're seeing now is once you start doing that and do that well, that's the beginning. The next bit is then you start thinking about career pathing. Right? And that's when you start thinking about skills you've got, you've got to put forward and workforce planning. So if you think about a TA role which involves career pathing, career planning, providing the resources to enable people to actually go and do the learning that they need to do to be thinking about their next two years. You're then starting to bring in things like performance data and stuff like that. And the hiring, you're doing all that in the same single function. That's TA and learning and development as a single focus. Yep. Single focus. So I think that's that's where we're seeing the smart people going. Um, we're seeing more technology going into single source. So it's evolving. What you're going to see is more candidates in the ATS delivered we're doing some work with that on Vonk at the moment with job distribution but equally I'm working on some other stuff where um, lots of other people where we'll actually put candidates into the uh, organizations want to see candidates in the ATS they want to be able to operate their RPO from the ATS yeah so you can see single source places to do that for both external and internal hiring which then brings in the learning piece right so Lots of very, very exciting things going on, which are really geared around skills taxonomy. Yeah. How do we understand the skills people have? How do we translate their experience into skills? How do we figure out from job specs what are the skills we're hiring rather than the job role that we're hiring for? How do we bring those things together? And we, you know, and we need a big part of that is efficient technology, doing it in an efficient way. Plenty of complex issues there to yeah, for people to chew fun. over here. It's fun. Let me ask you one last thing. Yeah. What's what's the next few months, maybe year, hold for Bill Borman? For me, um, well, I you know I work with I, I work with tech companies, um, startups. So I'm doing that with, with a number of different people. But the biggest part of that for me is helping them to understand the actual real challenges that are going on. Um, so I'm going to be spending a lot of time researching, talking with people, just understanding. Equally, you know, um, I'm, people are buying my art at the minute, so I'm gonna be doing a lot more street art. And, <laughs> and you've got a bit of art yeah, yeah, on stage, a bit on stage. Um, And I'm doing stand-up, so, you know, Beardo and Borman starting to merge into one and the same thing, right? So that, so that from, on a personal level, that's gonna be interesting, but on a professional level, I think, we're in for some really interesting times, you know. I think we've got a lot of political turmoil coming. I think we've got... Um, coming? <laughs> yeah. I, I, we're only at the start of this, yeah, I yeah. think. We're only at the start of this, so... Um, for, for any context, Boris Johnson has just resigned at the today, time of recording. Today, today. Hey! Yeah. But um, now we're going to start worrying about who comes next, <laughs> so that's a whole different discussion. But I think um, when we look at that, it, it is that question of... Um, I, one of the things I'm talking about in my presentation, about my second slide, is... It, is we were in a crisis of crisis. We move. We move. We're now in a in a in an environment. I think for the next couple of years, where there's going to be a crisis. Yeah. You know, we've gone from COVID to war. There's environmental stuff going on. I think we're going to have a kind of political crisis globally. Certainly, if you think of it from a UK and a European point of view, what Europe's looking like at the moment and getting very fragmented. Not just post-Brexit stuff, but. Um, other things that are going on in Europe, including a war, you know, which yeah. is a major factor. 
politically we politically um, countries seem to be getting less and less aligned in terms of how they deal with the major issues like um, refugees like climate change there's lots of conflict within countries on a political level yeah which is vote winning so and and not a lot of consensus right um, and then you bring in like the US and Australia and Australia's just changed Parliament the US is in the middle of a mire where you, you've got Supreme Court coming out with all kinds of rules which are going to be very right-wing conservative and kind of a central middle socialist effectively White House so I think all all of these conflicts, the biggest thing that's broken at the minute is supply chain. That doesn't matter whether we talk about recruitment supply chain candidates, how do we connect jobs with candidates, or global supply chain in terms of energy crisis, that we bought all our energy from Russia. So all of these things are going to create a climate of crisis, which means we're going to have to be on top of the what's going on. We're going to have to take a position on all of these things and plot a path. Because the worst thing is just to say, let's just see what happens. Now, we may plot the right path or the wrong path. It means we have to be very yeah. agile. And organisations need yeah. need some kind of stability and, and yeah. plan. So, to... so what's in it for me? I'm really excited about it because I love that kind of environment. I don't yeah. think it's good for the world in general, but I love the environment where you have to be agile. You have to be innovative. You have to do something new. You have to change what you used to do, you know? Yeah. And I think what the COVID crisis taught us is we brought conversations we were having some of it about technology like user chatbots video interview whether you needed to do five face-to-face interviews in a process or you could just do one do your assessment before you know we brought our whole time to hire loads of things we brought that forward 15 years you know i think we would have been having those conversations for another 15 years before we sorted them out yeah covid made us change that so crisis is as much an opportunity to get things done in our organisations. Um, the biggest thing, biggest thing is we, we've got to build the brand talent acquisition. You know, good talent acquisition is invisible, which means you don't have a recognised value in the organisation because people just get hired. It works okay, so it's neither good nor bad. Got to work harder on that brand, that internal brand. Of, these are, have, got to, have got to be taking on more stuff like the internal mobility, career development, yeah. workforce planning, new plot, new areas for us and really demonstrating our value in the business and becoming expert voice about people, whatever it is. You want to hire people, you want to deal with a problem. Um, the biggest fear that I have, which is what I'm going to be championing the most when you talk about personal levels, is that the harder it gets to hire, the more we're going to go backwards on things like our diversity initiatives that we've been, last few years we've been really strong on that right for a whole yeah. load of and it's good to see that that is one of the most oversubscribed tents yeah, here yeah, today yeah, people, yeah. people and, are and it always will be because people uh, will oversubscribe because people don't actually know how to deal with that mm. so you want to go and see the heart is willing the mind is weak right we don't know what you need someone you need a point of reference and someone to say yeah this is how you deal with your diversity this is where you where does diversity stop and finish you know when in the UK we're talking about class and more increasingly economy you know yeah, yeah who's in poverty who's not and, and how does that impact how does that impact employment so we've got to think about those things and that's why the next period of time is going to be super exciting for yeah. me. super exciting look it's, it's been lovely to finally sit down with you it's and great. to hear some of your thoughts from 
Breakfast 22. Uh, to chew on. <laughs> yeah, I'm also slightly conscious of the fact we need to get you back to your stage so you can introduce yeah, the next speaker. Yeah, introduce but the next speaker, but thank you for your time, All I'd Bill. say to everyone is, work to be done, people.